last week we ended our study uh, and interaction on Psalm 119 with my handwritten question, which we now have typed, what things can we do to grow our depth and intensity as we strive to desire consistently? So that was verses 17 through 24. And so we had looked at those different lists. And again, I'll put this up every week, just a breakdown of Psalm 119. So our idea is, uh, and we started with a thought by first reflecting, and I think hopefully, honestly, on if our active desire for God's Word replicates to the same depth and intensity what the psalmist is sharing in those verses. And so the question at hand is this, and I'm going to hit it right now. What things can we do to grow our depth and intensity as we strive to desire consistently? And then I want to remind us of the thing that we mentioned what maybe needs to be cut out of life so that we actually desire him consistently, desire his word. And so I have a few potential answers. And then what I'd like to do, and I know you guys have been chit-chatting in table groups, and so you get a little, little bit round two of that. We'll take one minute, and then we're just going to do a quick sentence from some of the tables. Uh, one, one minute, I'm going to give you one, not one minute, that's too many minutes, but you get one sentence out of this thing. Uh, I'm going to list a few things that I noted as I was thinking through this that may need to be cut out of life to allow us to desire consistently his word. One of the ones I wrote down was approval of others sought instead of God's word. And that's not to negate godly counsel. That is to say what maybe needs to be pruned out of life so that we will desire his word instead of desiring the approval of man. I put as a second one, emotional response weighted first and most instead of truth. So as you encounter something, actually it was interesting. I was having a discussion with somebody and they, they gave a response to something and they talked about, well, this is what, this is what God would want. And I said, well, actually that's what emotionally you think God would want, but that's actually not what he said in his word. You had the emotion tied in, but you did not have the truth tied in. And what does it say? We're supposed to speak the truth in love. And we've talked about this before. If all you have is love, what are you missing? Truth. And then sometimes if all you have is truth, you can be what? Missing love or harsh. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, truth and love cannot be separated. You don't divide those. You speak the truth in love. I say that because what was driving the mindset was emotions. It was emotional response that then gets weighted higher than Scripture, uh, controlling our emotions, and then examining our desires, being honest and making changes to them when they do not have an appetite for God's Word. So as we talk about desiring consistently, we talked about the idea of appetite. So we've, I don't know if you've thought about this question since last week. We put it on the scribbles up there. Does anyone have a, and I'm going to hold you to it, one sentence thing that you can cut out? You say, I, I, I thought about it a little bit. What, what would you cut out? What do you see that maybe needs to come out of life to allow desire for God's word to be full flushed or full growing? Not all at once, though, because it gets confusing. <laughs> Watching the news, right? We can say, well, we want to see what's going on over uh, what 
maybe it replaces without us even knowing it, right? We, we pick up a, a, a station. I was preparing for a meeting, and I was watching a news bit, and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to be late to this meeting. <laughs> you know, I, better, I better stop watching. It quickly can get in the way. Anything else that maybe needs to cut out to help our desire flourish for God's Word, something that could come out? Phone. There we go. Excellent. Is Angry Birds and still or? Hearts. Okay. We know what Bob's into now. What else do we have? That's right. We have our our purpose can be there. Our goals, our our uh, aspirations tie into that. Anything else? All right, we're going to move on then because we're trying to move through quite a bit, so I just want to do that. I, I put here, and I don't even know if this is true, but I read somewhere that if you eat something 10 times, you'll begin to like it. And so I used to tell my kids this, just eat it 10 times and you'll start liking it. I don't say that anymore because I was just in India for 10 days and I don't like it. So uh, there's nothing, there's no developing a taste for it. But let's just say that that actually works, that, that, that it works on a normal person, that if you eat it 10 times, you'll develop a taste for it, regardless of whether it's valid for food. Uh, I put here as a closing mark on desire, if you don't have an appetite for God's Word, develop it. Develop it. It is not the fault of God's Word that you don't have an appetite for it. So we, we deal with that and, and I, whenever someone says that, I remember reading this from Howard Hendricks one time, and someone commented on the book of Ruth, and, and they were just um, said something, oh, isn't that a racy book? And he says, you just revealed who you were, not revealed who God's Word is. You've, you've shown who you are. Uh, when you don't have an appetite for God's Word, and, and th- that can come, maybe there's a season in time where you don't, understand that's not God's Word's fault. That is your lack of appetite. And so I put here, it's not a lack in the food of Scripture. It sits squarely in your palate. God's Word is to be our desire. We need an appetite for it. And then upon it, we must think consistently. And so if you're in Psalm 119, which hopefully you know will be there, 25 through 32, I'm going to read that. Put here, my soul, it says, cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according, uh, according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Remember, that's the idea of rulings, what God has said, what God has decided he's put in front of him. I have stuck under thy testimonies, O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. And I put here as a question, what's on your mind? I never have to wonder what's on my younger children's mind. I have teenagers now, and if you've had teenagers, you know you have to wonder what's on their mind because they don't always share it. But the younger kids, they wake up sharing it. Uh, I feel like a bad dad sometimes because sometimes I don't even want to hear what's on their mind. You know, I have told one of my youngest, Clayton, sometimes I'm like, 
Yeah, dad doesn't want to hear about that. I just, sorry. Yeah, tell your mom. That's just, uh, I'm a bad person. I know. It's video games. I don't want to hear about it, imaginations. But here's what's funny. They wake up. They're sharing. They're engaging with it. Uh, what made me think of this is the other day, uh, Clayton woke up and he went to bed thinking about our two, when I say new cats, we've had them since September. So they're not new. They're just not as old as the other one. And he wanted to say goodnight to the cats and the cats are in the garage and he's clean and we don't want him to go into the garage because if you've ever sent a boy into a garage that's clean, he will do anything to get the cats from walk through litter to go under the car to do anything. So I said, no, that night I said, no, don't worry, you'll see the cats in the morning. Now, Clayton is one of the earlier risers unless it's Sunday. And so he is up ready to roar. Um, I have a trouble sleeping, so I wake up early in the morning. And you know what's the least fun thing to do when you wake up early in the morning? Engage a seven-year-old's mind, because uh, he's like, ooh, you're up, I'll be up. And I'm like, ooh, I really don't want you up. Could you go to bed? And then I feel bad, and so he hangs out with me. He woke up, and I still remember all he could think about with the cats. Cats, cats, cats. And being a great dad, I said, hey, you should go see the cats. It's time. This is time now. This is, this is cat time. And the cats, he opens the door. You know what happens, right? When you open the door, you send a seven-year-old to the garage to open the door for cats. Before I know it, there's cats in the house going down everywhere. They're every, just every cat, any animal is coming in the house. The whole day, all he talked about was cats. That's all he could think about. What the cats are doing, what's taking place. If I'm grilling outside, he's thinking about what the cats are thinking. What do you think the cats think about this? You think they like the chicken? You think they want this? I'm like... Wow, this is, we're on cats. we loving the cats. Uh, from dawn to dusk, psychologically, everything he did was analyzed in light of those animals and how he's going to interact with them. That's it. How the cats think about everything. By the way, the cats are Oliver Holland, and the old cat is Cameron. And I'm still surprised he's not clawed to death by how he handles the cats. I made the mistake. Have you ever picked a cat up by the nap of its neck? So it doesn't, like, if they're not acting right, I just pick them up there and they stop doing it. He watched me do that. So I've instructed him now multiple times, do not carry the cats all over the yard by the nap of their neck, just marching around. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, they're wiggling. It's not, uh, yes, I know why they're wiggling. They're trying to get away from you. And then he's moving the cats around. Either way, they must like him. But all his mind was fixed on were cats. He was thinking about it, and he was talking about it. And I hope that everyone's picking up on my point here. Thinking on God's Word will frame your day and your life. And what level is God looking for? Clayton and the cats. That's what, it's, that's what he's saying. How can I have my whole life be framed in God's Word? It will become what examines us. This is what one writer notes of this section. Contemporary people tend to examine the Bible looking for things they cannot accept, but Christians should reverse that, allowing the Bible to examine us looking for things God can't accept. Those thoughts become the filter for all of life. And so as we're working through Psalm 119, we get this idea and then we'll have the discussion question here shortly of uh, thinking or meditate consistently. And I, I put as a question as we get to it, what can we do to have his word consistently on our mind as we work and function in life? And I, I added that phrase at the end because 
the psalmist wants the thoughts of Scripture to be what revives him. Quicken thou me, how? According to thy word. Now, if you need to be quickened, brought see, back to life, he's not saying he's dead and he's going to come back to life, but he is using poetic language to tell you that he is down and done, so to speak. And he says, quicken me, how? Give me victory over my enemies, make me king, make me rich, make me happy, make me full, give me my life, give me my children. No, what does he want to be quickened with? According to thy word. What strengthens him, what he sets before him, so strength is verse 28, what he sets before him, verse 30, what he fixates upon, verse 31, and the direction that he runs, he wants the, the thoughts of Scripture to be what forms everything. And I asked a, a kind of a discussion thought, we're really a, a thinking thought, we're not talking it over. How often is God's Word on your mind? And just push the pause button for a second. And I know what you're thinking. That's why I add this here as we work and function in life. Because I'm going to mention this at the end. Uh, I have it easy, right? For, for me, a lot of my work centers around thinking about God's Word. So it's not even fair for me to toss up a, a thought from, okay, well, my day, I thought about God's Word a lot. Well, I hope so. I'm supposed to be, you know. Um, I do another job as well, and so I go back and think about when I'm trying to think about how to market clematis and come up with ideas. How often does God's Word permeate that? And I start thinking about ways that it can permeate more, because when you're trying to think of what you should price a plant for in the market and what, what it can be paid for and how you're going to market it to a retailer and how it's going to move, it's kind of hard to, to suddenly start ruminating over Bible verses, but one of the things I find is when I come into a situation uh, where I need to send an email, where I need to deal with a problem, where I need to address uh, or put out a fire, that's when I want to find that Scripture jumps in my mind and it thinks. Uh, some, and I put as a, as a note, because we're going to split out in our table groups for two minutes, and I want you to think about things you can do, practical things to have God's Word consistently on your mind. So one of the things I've done uh, for the times when I'm working elsewhere, I have a verse on my desk. I typed it on paper. I put it in 24-point font so I can see it from two feet away and not in my face now for that. Um, I used to have a very easy time memorizing things. So I could, I could look at a verse seven times. It's memorized. I'll remember it. Uh, when I was in college, if I couldn't remember an answer, I closed my eyes. I knew what page it was on my notes. I could see my handwriting. So those things helped. That's gone. It's over. I don't have that anymore. I can't seem to get uh, my brain to lock in uh, to a verse. And so I have this verse listed there. It sits on my desk. It's something that was important to me for work. It was, it was, I set it there. I read it during devotions, and this verse just jumped at me. It was in Jeremiah. Um, and it's about boasting, actually. If you're going to boast in something, boast in him. That, that reminder of what needs to be done. It sits there because it's hard for me to memorize, and I wanted his word in front of me. I wanted to be talking to a customer and then be reminded that my boast is him always, forever, and ever, no matter what goes through, no matter how big of a deal it is, no matter how happy I am, what goes on, no matter what happens, the success, the boast is in him. So that's a practical thing for me. I, I put that on my desk so that 
it's there. And, and you mentioned on my desk, I have this little fold-up thing that holds books open and holds paper, and I try to make sure it's the first paper there. I might have to reach for ones behind it, but it's the lead paper that when I look left on my desk, I see that verse. That's how I, I try to trigger and help my brain have God's Word consistently on my mind. Now, in other careers, what can you do? So I know there's a host of other uh, work that is done here, but what are some other ideas? So take some time at your table. Let's take about two minutes. Um, and so talk about in your line of work, and for your retirees, I hope you have a lot of answers, right? You have a ton of time. You can just, you can sing and dance scripture, you know what I mean? And that's what I want you to do in the parking lot someday. Just get all together and, and put it to dance. And you guys got to do it out there. I'm kidding. I really don't want you to do that. I'm leaving if you do. So, um, but think about how you can keep God's word in front of you. Take about two minutes because this idea of permeating, and I do want you to be thinking about, I know we can't give the same dedication that a seven-year-old boy can give to cats uh, and give them 24 hours of his day in life uh, locked in there. But that is the, the, the level of intensity we're looking for, that we're, we're that committed to God's Word infiltrating our careers. And so I know project managers, we have, I think, engineers in here, uh, a host of people from sales. I always resonate with sales because that's what I do. Uh, people that manage how does God's Word stay consistently on your mind in your work, in your life? What can you do in a practical way? And then in two minutes, we'll share an insight, a phrase, a sentence from each table. So go ahead and... All right, our two minutes is up. I see Bob wants to talk. Number three, table three, what, what one sentence do you have for us of, of profound wisdom? Oh, <laughs> Someone take Bob out. He needs correction. <laughs> Do with him as you wish. You would, but there's the quenching of the Spirit. So you have the Spirit does this, but what do, what, what do we tend to do that, that inhibits it? And how do we, because obviously uh, Satan desires us to be distracted, to be, to be moved from this. Is table three the generalization table? I think it was last week too. Like, uh, put the God's Word in a prominent place. Yeah, thank you. Corey, have you influenced? I see you've influenced him. If you could just take the table to the next level, that's what we're looking for here. Someone else needs to sit at table three next week and just help them move from this generalization. You know, you know what I hear when I, you guys talk now is I hear Clayton. What was Sunday school about? God. I know it's about God. Come on, give me a little bit. Give me a little bit more. I feel that you guys are now like the God answer table. Moving on. There we go. There. Table six already given us up. Table two, can you give me something more profound than remove all distractions from life?
Well, I think on purpose is a great one, right? This is not going to happen by accident. It's, it's not something... Uh, I realized that with, I mentioned about the verse keeping in front there. If I don't put it out in front, I didn't do that, then I'm not going to remember that verse. I'm not going to remember what it says because it's, it's not sticking in my brain. I can't seem to memorize it. I want it there constantly in front of me. So I think being on purpose uh, is a great statement. I'm going to flip around. Table five, what do you have that maybe we good to see us think consistently about God's word? How, what can we remove? Yeah. And I think that's great. What you have is you have an on-purpose thought, and you're now picking something that relates to your job, that you're interacting with people, and you want to remind yourself of the biblical principle that how God would want you to respond. I think that's great. It's, it's bringing it to a practical level, uh, what we would talk about street level. So I think that's great. How do you keep your mind focused? Well, beyond something that will help deal with your life and, and what's taking place. I think it's excellent. So we'll say on-purpose and practical. Yes, Sandy? That's excellent. I think that's great. And it's great to hear different career paths, what, what comes up and what needs to take place. That's wonderful. Being an example, living out your faith, that's a way to keep God's Word uh, alive and in front of people. Uh, table four, what do you have for me? Anything of profound wisdom from... Giving the best time. That's another one that I think is great. I would disagree with you because I was up at 4.30 a.m. and I find it to be a very... Okay. <laughs> but I'm glad somebody likes 4.30 a.m. I feel cursed when I'm up at 4.30 a.m. And, and can't get to sleep. But getting the best of your day, I think that's helpful, right? You're, you're saying, I'm going to commit the, the hours of best thinking and best... Uh, connection there. Table six, do they want another shot at this or did Tom just sum it up with it? I think it's great when we see that. I think the the morning reading, I know uh, I may not be at the 430 club. I don't know how old you have to be to get there, but I'm not there. A uh, few more years. But for me, it's the same thing. My morning is my least distracted time mentally. And so I want to make sure I give uh, first light or first crack 
uh, to God's Word there. I think it's very helpful. Table one, anything to add to what's going on there? Okay, there we go. So we're, uh, I put here, sadly, though, our hearts do tend to be distracted, uh, to be drawn away from pursuing God's way, drawn after the selfish things of this life and world. And that's what we encounter next in Psalm 119 is the need to focus consistently. And I'm going to read 33 through 40, and everyone will be at eight-verse kind of uh, grouping. So it says here, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. And I'm going to touch on 40 briefly, just reading it. He longs after thy precepts. And I want to remind us what precepts are. Minutia, the details. How many of us have graded under authority's detail? That we, we, we want generalization. And I want you to notice something as this, this group of eight closes, this idea that we want to focus consistently is that he is saying, I long for your minute authority in my life. I long for you to have that level of control. I, I put here as a background, we're distracted people, bombarded by a seeming endless list of things to potentially think about and pursue. I remember this. I, I'm if I'm going to search the internet, I typically am on Google and I go Google. But for a time being, I used Bing, which I guess was Microsoft's version. I stopped using it because they always threw news articles up to be in the same plague that Mr. Malampi has. And it's like, whoa, this happened, that happened, that happened. And so it's distraction. And if we think about it, we're always potentially distracted. Sometimes Heather will read the news from around the country, around the world. I'm like, stop. Just I don't want to hear any more news. I don't want to hear anything else that's happening. I don't want to know about what this athlete said. I'm not sure I want to know, but we are bombarded. We live in a world where your phone is, is more powerful uh, than computers were probably 10 years ago and what you can accomplish and, and take care of. Uh, our time and energy are quickly moved to the next thing. Uh, we have short attention spans. We quickly bounce off of it. That's why as we look at this idea of focus, as we move to it, um, we're moving right from think, and you say, wait a second, what's the difference? Well, Psalm 119 is all woven together, but I want you to kind of think about how quickly we shift from one thing to the next. You can read God's Word with a lack of focus. I've talked to people, and it is actually horrible for your spiritual health, and so if I'm saying this and this is what you do when you read, I hope you'll change your mind about it. They would flip through God's Word looking for something that would bring them an emotional lift, looking for something. 
When you go to God's word looking for you, you've already approached it with the wrong mindset. You go to God's word to hear about God. You don't necessarily go to God's word to hear the uplifting word of the day or the verse of the day. I'm not saying you can't be encouraged by God's word, but this was the steady diet of their Bible. I read the Bible every day. I go in there. I find myself always in the Psalms, this person said. And I look and I flip through and then I find a verse that encourages me. If that's your Bible reading, shame on you. Get in God's word. Read it consistently. Focus. Don't flit from one verse to the next, bouncing around. I'm not saying you can't breeze through scripture at times. But when you come to read it, read it. Focus. We even come to what God has given us with a lack of focus because we're so easily moved to the next thing and we fail to rest on the eternally important things. The most amazing thing sometimes when we're facing pressure from this world, and I'm not saying it comes quickly, but when your mind can be removed from the problem you see today and that when you go to God's word and can be shifted to see what eternity looks like and what is eternally important, well, you have fixed your eyes from you onto God. And I'm not saying you're not going to get the answers for the problems that there, that, that you're not going to find some peace that's associated with it. But when we're just looking for that fix for us, we are selfishly and lack of any kind of focus pursuing God's word, focus and rest on what is eternally important. This section deals with that distraction, that disloyalty, that lack of sincere focus. Uh, one writer was m- remarking on this, Mortier, and he wrote this, the spirit of dependence continues. So the, the psalmist in these, remember this about Psalm 19 from verse 4 all the way to the end. It's prayers. These are petitions to God. He's crying out. He's not preaching. He's petitioning. And so here we come again with a spirit of need. We recognize the dependence continues now with nine requests and eight verses. But the threat to running, to running in the Lord's way or not to run in the Lord's way is not a hostile environment. There's not difficulties of life, but instead the wayward heart which wants to obey but can so easily be drawn away to selfish ends and follows the enticements of the eyes. There is thus a tension in the heart itself, heart loyalty threatened by heart disloyalty. Focus consistently, and the enemy now is us. It's not the princes that scorn his word. It's not society that doesn't honor God's way. Now it is our own heart. And so the psalmist asks that he be taught God's word. So he will, he says, keep it unto the end. He says, observe it with my whole heart. He asks God, he says, make me to go in the path of thy commandments. You understand what he's asking God for? He's telling God, you make, please, begging. This is a petition. This is not a sermon. He's saying, make me go, direct me, shape my life. Make sure I walk where you want me to walk in your commandments. Incline my heart, and it's to my testimonies. Quicken me in thy ways. And what God views as the right lifestyle. Remember the word way, Derek, is journey or way or or path. And he says, I want you to go and, and I want to be in your lifestyle. I want to be doing what you want. Establish thy word. Make thy word the, the base of life. Devoted to thy fear. And we read that and sometimes it throws us off, but that's the reverence and awe that God is due. In other words, help me to see God as he should be seen. We live in a world 
that pulls God down. I think I've shared this before. We have a society when they speak of Jesus, he's their buddy, God's their buddy hanging out with me. You recognize what it's all about? God hangs with me. God is doing my work. God is in my hobbies. No, that's not what this is talking about. Devoted to thy fear says, help me see you as I should see you. I am the creation and you are the creator. It's not a buddy system. He's our heavenly father. He is our Lord. He is our savior. And that's what he means. It's not a distance because that's what people say. Well, I'm really close to Jesus because I bring him down with me. No, you're not close to Jesus. That's an idol. That's not Jesus Christ. That's a false God. And it's not saying, well, see God, and it has to be this, you know, I should have a white collar here and a black robe, and see, very liturgical. That's not what it's talking about either. What it's saying is when you are going to have a relationship and a close one, it needs to be appropriate, devoted to thy fear, to thy reverence, to seeing God as he should be seen. He says, I have longed, and he's speaking of his precepts, and I'm asphyxiating on that word tonight, precepts. What is that again? Details. He is longing for the details. I want God to control the details of my life. I'm not looking for a theoretical manager. I'm not looking for the admiral on the ship uh, who's way away and I I can do whatever I want in the rest of the plays. I'm not looking for leadership that's distant. I want him in the minutia of life and then quicken me in thy righteousness. And what the psalmist is saying is I don't want to be distracted from God's word. I don't want to be distracted from God's direct influence, and I put the other word guidance, on my life. I don't want anything to shift me from what God's word will direct me to do. I want God's minute details to direct my life. And I put here as a note, I wonder if we share the same passion. That, that kind of question is going to pop up at the end of a lot of sections. Is this where I'm at? Do you... And this is a little bit of a thought question before we get to the other one. Uh, Do we desire God's minute detail and authority in our life? Do I want God's direction into the minutia of my life? That he gets to dictate what I'm doing in the smallest of details. That's precepts. That's managing my life. He's the overseer of the nitty-gritty Is that what our passion is? And so if you look at the question here, I'll make sure I have the right one up. What are some practical things that distract us or could distract us from his way, his lifestyle, and how do we keep them in check? And I know some of these questions are going to overlap. I want to share a few that popped up, and I'm actually just going to share the one that I wrote, my last one. Sometimes what distracts us from the lifestyle, God's way, are actually things we want to do for the Lord. I've been around a host of people who tell me what they want to do for the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. I've watched churches, and and I'm listening to a pastor, and so you have... Uh, you're at a pastor's conference and you talk to people. I, 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 sometimes I sit by myself, which I'm also fine with, and talk to nobody because I'm fine to be alone. And then sometimes I talk to somebody because I'm like, well, why not, why not talk to somebody? And what strikes me is when I hear someone share their ministry, everything about what they're going to accomplish, uh, what they're building, what they're going to take care of. I've watched pastors 
and listen to them refer uh, to their church like it's something they own and run and, and, and they, it's their possession. And you start listening and you think to yourself, wow, what could distract them from understanding what God's direction is? Because that's what he's saying. Why focus on God's word? So it directs us, so it, so it leads us, so it guides us. And so I just put that down. Sometimes it can be our ministry that it, it becomes that. And I, I'm emphasizing the word our, not his kingdom, our kingdom. Oh, we've tucked it under his, but we're going to do what we want. We're going to do it our way and our timing and our, our place. Um, there's a couple others, but I won't list them. I'll let you go. So why don't you take about two minutes again? And the idea is here is looking for these things. And I'm, I'm trying to emphasize that potentially some of these distractions come from within us. That's the point of this section. So you're going to hear plenty of times where the princes are causing problems, where the society is pushing away. That is not this section. This section is, is having you think about how you distract yourself from being focused on his word. And the focus on his word is not now what we talked about, us thinking about his word, but how that word permeates our life and directs our life. So we're thinking through some practical things that distract us or could distract us from his way. And here's what I'm hoping for, table one through six. How about somebody else that hasn't talked yet throws something out to us? And so if you have a quiet person in your group, just start poking them now. And they can start talking. I'm just kidding. Don't mess with your neighbor. But let's take two minutes and and throw out some ideas that that could come up in your life and what could be there. All right. We're going to go ahead and move around and and start with table six. Table six, what are some... Um, what are some of those, I'm looking at the question, what are some practical things that distract us or could distract us from his way? Again, when we speak of his lifestyle, and that is his minute control of the details of life. What, what are some things that could pop up for us there? That's a good one. The word control comes up, doesn't it? Where we, we I, I have it with, with times I'm praying and I realize I'm, I'm manipulatively praying to God. I'm just looking for enough peace to get my way. That I'm, I'm just repeating the same thing. And that's that idea of, of having our way. How about table number five? What are some things that could distract, practical things that distract us from his lifestyle? What pops up maybe? Television, that's very good. I like that. They could pop up and distract us from there. Table number four, what do you have there for me? That's a good thing. You always try different ways to read. And remember, Dr. Forrester, as a, as a mentor of mine, said, listen to it. I've heard of reading in another language and what that does to you uh, and can change your mindset. If you don't speak another language, it's also healthy to learn another language. So you got options there.
Yeah, sometimes a habit, habit's great, right, to form it, but the danger is it becomes, uh, I call legalism at times. You can check the box and you're happy with what you did because I, I do this, this is what I do, this is the only thing uh, that, I, that I'm thinking about and, and walking through. And uh, with Landon, he's read through Scripture now four times, and so he's read through a Bible that has some commentary attached to it, and I'm actually uh, in the near future going to buy him a one-volume commentary that I really like and say, hey, how about when you read next year, you read this whole one-volume commentary to go with it. And what he doesn't know is the next year I have a two-volume one, and then we're going to just keep going from there. But the idea of engaging that uh, in his Spanish course, he's working on Spanish, and and uh, he, he has to memorize Scripture in, in Spanish. And so he's quoting that Scripture. He's engaging with it. So all those things bounce out. Sometimes our own habit is our is a strength that helps us that discipline in the morning, but even changing it allows us to move out of the legalistic idea of I'm going to check this off and that's what I'm going to do. Table number one. For me, this question ties into the, in the last point. I've read about the Puritans is how they brought God's Word into their work. A blacksmith was thinking about God's Word while doing their job correctly. It's a craft, but they, they spoke and wrote about it. And I was doing reading about that time, and the best poetry came from them. Some of the best writing came from them during that time, but they were highly focused on God's Word while doing their work, so actually weaving it uh, in there. Table number two. Yeah, there's a pragmatism that comes into worship. Uh, one of the things we do strive for here is that when you come to worship, it's worship. Uh, even when missionaries come, they say, oh, can I come present on a Sunday? I said, no, we're going to do Wednesdays because when we come to worship, we want to worship. We want to make sure that that stays the focus because we can quickly have a great program, have a, uh, a different mindset to get, get them in. What's interesting is our Awana program, one of the things it was an honest shift. We always thought you have Awana and then it, people will come to church. And then we made a conscious decision to reach people. And that was all we're going to do. We're going to reach our community and kids with the gospel. And the Lord blessed 
in that way. There are not a ton of families then coming to church. There are some that do it. But the reality is, is we're able to preach God's truth and make that the zeroed in focus. So it's easy to turn. I have one of my first ones. Good opportunities can be the biggest distraction, not what's best or not what's correct. Table number three with some good wisdom. I like that. We could probably end with that one. I think that's a that's probably we'll let you preach that Sunday morning. You know that's yeah. yes. You know what we'll does put you on stage? <laughs> It'd be perfect. Maybe you know maybe I'll hide you. I'll get in front of you and dance around. So I like that. I'm going to try to knock out one more. Maybe I shouldn't because it is the end of the end of the night. So how about I don't do that? Uh, I am way off course to finishing Psalm 119. The beautiful thing is you're able to read and keep going. So. We'll keep plugging through. Uh, next week, we'll be diving right into um, use it consistently. And I just I want to put this thought in your brain. Um, what are some real life inhibitors to using God's word consistently and some thoughts on overcoming them? And I'm going to share this illustration twice, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, during COVID, I traveled Nicaragua four times a year, mission work and going. COVID, three years not in any Spanish-speaking country. I'm still on Zoom. I'm talking. And I put here, we know the expression, use it or lose it. And some things like riding a bike always seem to stick with us. But let's be honest, if you haven't been on a bike for 10 years, you look a little wobbly. Um, I was talking to someone about downhill skiing, and I skied a lot when I was in high school. I haven't skied for 20-some years, and the guy I was traveling was like, oh, you'll never forget it. I'm like, "Eh, I think I probably forgot some of it. Things are going to slip. But some things do because we don't use them, they start slipping. And I want you to read, when you read 41 through 48, it's about using it consistently. And I want to link you to Acts 4.29. Disciples pray for boldness. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And one author kind of summarized it this way. He says, this section gives us the prerequisite to actually accomplishing that. Uh, the word trusted obeyed, sought, and loved, and then the Word of God as the ruling force of our life, it's going to drive us to use it. And I want to go to this verse here. I think it's verse 46. I will speak thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And so as we look next week, what inhibits us from actually using God's Word? Uh, Are we going to stand in front of kings and tell his testimonies? Are we going to be Pauline in that? Are we sharing the prayer of the disciples that say, they're pressing down on us, give us boldness to speak it? Well, this is the section of the psalm that says, why don't we make sure we're using God's word, that it is a part of what we say and what we do. And so that will be where we pick off uh, verse uh, 41. I want to encourage you again, as, as you're heading out, try to read through Psalm 119 completely this week. And so I'm going to make a note that I'm going to ask that starting out. Let's see if at least one person at a table has read that. It takes you about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 if you read it a little slower, which is perfectly fine uh, to digest it. But try to get the whole psalm in again, because as we work through these sections and focus on them, we also get the broad picture of that's there. You are dismissed. <laughs>